Christmas wishes. King Nutcracker prepared for a great Christmas feast because Santa Claus had promised his three sons something very special. What do you think it was? A pony or a boat? No, no. Prince Nutcracker and Prince Buttons didn't need those things, while little Prince Pepin had everything he wanted. No, Santa Claus had promised them each a wish. What would the princes wish for? Nobody knew. The newspapers declared that of course their wishes would be something nice for the people. But the newspaper knew no more of the matter than you or I. Santa Claus slipped in when nobody saw him. He went to the three princes and said, Let me hear what you wish for. All the courtiers stood on their tiptoes and you could have heard a pin drop. They were so anxious to know what the princes wished. Pepin, though the youngest, being a saucy, spoiled boy, spoke first. A prince should always have his own way, said Pepin. Now there are a great many things that annoy me. Sometimes when I'm flying my kite, there's no wind. Now I think that a prince should always be able to fly his kite. If not, I might as well be any other boy. Also, it rains when I am going horseback riding, and the sun sets before I am ready, and my ball tumbles down when I want it to stay up. And sometimes it's too warm, and sometimes it's too cold. In short, there's no end to my annoyances, and I want to regulate these things myself. Santa Claus looked hard at Pepin to see if he was serious. Pepin looked back at Santa Claus with a serious face. Have your wish while you remain a prince, said Santa Claus. The courtiers stared, but no one had time to make any remarks, for Prince Nutcracker wished for the luck penny. Now you know, whoever has a luck penny will make money, more money, much money, and will never lose any. But there's one objection, remarked Santa Claus. By continual use, the luck penny will be more important to you than anything else. Okay, I don't care, said Nutcracker, slipping the luck penny into his pocket. Prince Buttons, blushing to the tip of his ears, wished to marry the shoemaker's sweet daughter and that the spirit of Christmas might live in their house the year round. The king jumped up, fuming and spluttering. You idiot, the daughter of the shoemaker. And the Christmas spirit, what a stupid thing to wish for. His Royal Highness was really angry, and the Queen fainted, and the courtiers cried. Oh, Prince Buttons ran away in the midst of the hub-hub. Santa Claus disappeared, and the court suddenly found itself in darkness. It was high noon, but the sun had popped out of the sky like a snuffed-out candle. Nobody could find candles or matches, and there was great confusion in the palace and in the city. People were left standing in darkness at the shops and ferries. People who were eating dinners, and people who were doing shopping, and people who had just come out to see Christmas were all in darkness. Everybody was scared, but it turned out that it was only Prince Pepin, who wanted to see the Christmas lights, had ordered the sun to set. The king screamed. Order the sun up again, and if I catch you doing such a thing again. Pepin, who was afraid of his father, did not wait for the rest of the sentence. 
So, just as everybody had lighted candles or turned on the gas, there was the sun again. Seems to me, said Pepin sulkily, I'm not having my own way after all. And he walked away, moping to play a game with a ball. The game didn't go well and he screamed, stupid ball, always falling down. It only obeys the laws of gravity, my dear, said the queen. I wish there was no law of gravity, snapped Pepin. Whisk! Pepin was flying through the air. Kicking frantically, he saw the king, the queen, everything coming after him. Something hit him hard on the nose. He was in a perfect storm of great round apples flying in all directions. Bang, bum, on his head, in his mouth and on his shoulders. Pepin dodged and squalled. The air was full of stones and timbers. A horse was kicking just over his head. Somebody had him by the hair and somebody else by the legs. For of course, everybody clutched in all directions to save himself. Ho! Oh, screamed Pepin amidst a general uproar of barking, neighing, braying, clucking and shouting. I wish the law of gravitation was back again. At once, Pepin, the king, the queen and the people were on their feet again. Everything was in its place again. Everybody a little rumbled, but nobody hurt. The newspapers pronounced the affair the best joke of the season, but the people looked very glum over it. But Pepin found it funny and continued with other jokes. Often when he was lazy, the sun did not rise until noon. And other times, he sometimes kept the sun in the sky till nine o'clock at night, while all the children in the city were crying for sleep. Three nations declared war on King Nutcracker because of Pepin's jokes. The farmers were all in despair, for Pepin hardly allowed a drop of rain to fall. And having a fancy for skating in summer, he ruined what harvest there was by a week of ice and snow in July. Pepin was no longer afraid of his father, since he could leave him at any time in total darkness, so nobody could stop the prince. Then, one night, there was a loud knocking on the palace gate. There was a mob at the gates. The people, tired of Pepin's jokes, had rebelled. Prince Nutcracker put his luck penny in his pocket and walked out of the back door. No one stayed to look after the king and queen, who were running about in nightcap and slippers, in a terrible fright. The next day, the newspapers came out with a new heading. It was called now the People's Journal, and it said that on the night before, old Mr. and Mrs. Nutcracker and their boy Pepin had escaped. Nobody knew how, and nobody cared. So there was no longer a royal family. Prince Nutcracker lived as a commoner and opened a shop in the city, and Buttons had been sent away from the palace months before. As Nutcracker had the luck penny, of course he made money in his new store. Every day and all day long, he looked straight at the penny and cared about nothing else. He made money all year round and gave none of it away, none to Pepin, because he had brought about their misfortunes, none to Buttons, because he might have wished for something better, if he liked, than a hollybush and a shoemaker's daughter, none to anybody, because why should not people work and earn money as he had done? if they wanted it. And every day he grew more and more like his penny, 
that is, of less and less use for anything that was not buying and selling. One day Santa Claus came by. He had not seen him in ten years. He heard a sudden jingle of sleigh bells. He looked up and saw that it was Santa Claus. I stopped my sleigh, said Santa Claus, to see if you had anything to give to your father and brothers. Why should I send them anything, answered Nutcracker. Santa Claus put his hands down deep in his pockets, as if he was trying to hold himself. What for? Aren't you rich and they poor? Your own flesh and blood? If you don't have the love of a son and a brother, you must feel the Christmas spirit at least once a year in your heart. Urging you to love and be kind towards other people? Well, I don't, snarled Nutcracker. If people want things, they have to work for it, just like I do, and... Nutcracker never finished this speech, because he could not. A dumb, dry and hard feeling had taken possession of him. His legs were gone, and so were his arms. Something wrapped around him. He had a strange notion that he had grown round, and that, it sounds ridiculous, but Nutcracker was quite positive that he was in a table drawer among some other coins, and that he was a copper penny. He then heard his wife yell, Mr. Nutcracker! Mr. Nutcracker. Then he heard his children calling, Daddy, Daddy. Then a running up and down the stairs. They were searching for him. Then somebody declared that he had disappeared. So they went to the newspapers to put an ad in the papers, taking a handful of money from the drawer. Nutcracker was among the pennies and somebody carried him to a newspaper office and paid with him as a penny for an advertisement about his own disappearance. Two minutes after, the man at the newspaper gave him in change to a gentleman, who paid him out to a newsboy, who bought an apple with him of a grocer, who gave him in change again to a shoemaker, who dropped him into his soiled and patched pocket, where Nutcracker found nothing else but a five-dollar gold piece. The shoemaker was Buttons. Was this not a charming way for the two brothers to meet? The pocket into which Nutcracker was dropped was very dirty, but the shoemaker, who walked in the biting wind with no overcoat and his hands in his pockets, had warmth and sparkle in his heart that made Nutcracker feel brighter, though he could not tell why. There were Christmas trees on all corners, and Christmas rafts piled on the stands, and at every tree and raft buttons warmed more and more. There were women going home from market, with a broad grin on their faces, and Buttons laughed back at them as he walked, whistling and looking round him. To Nutcracker, Buttons seemed like the happiest man on earth. All this time, Buttons walked very fast and very straight till he, till, until he came to a certain shop. Outside of this door was a clove stand, and on this stand hung an overcoat marked only five dollars. Button stopped. Now, he said to himself, I need an overcoat. I have five dollars in my pocket. Shall I buy this overcoat? But, said Buttons, if I buy it, I have no money left to buy a Christmas dinner for my family and mom and dad and Pepin. Then he began to count on his fingers. A dressing gown for father, a shawl for mother, a new gown for my wife, goodies for the children, 
a box of paints for Pepin, and a dinner. Then he gave a little sigh, putting his hands again in his pockets, and walked away as fast as he came. Buttons lived upstairs in a little house in a dirty street. His rooms were small, and they were crowded. There were old Mr. and Mrs. Nutcracker, who never forgot that they had been king and queen, and that Button's wife was a shoemaker's daughter, and never remembered that Button's had returned their cruelty with kindness, and I think they were not very nice people to live with. There was also Pepin, who had been hurt in escaping from the palace, and who had never gotten out of his bed since. There was Button's pleasant-faced wife, there were three fat children. There was the holly bush, which had grown into a great tree. And there was, Nutcracker did not know what, but something he was quite sure for which he had been searching all his life. The children ran to their father. Ah, said Buttons, pretending to groan. I'm so tired. Can you go out and see if there's something outside? The children opened the door. Mom, come quick. Here's a chicken and cranberries and raisins. A chicken, cried old Mrs. Nutcracker. Christmas rafts, exclaimed his wife, peeping out into a, the dark little hall. Why, surely you never made them. Yes, I did, said Buttons, his eyes dancing. In the woods, the setters gave me bows for nothing. Christmas rafts, repeated Pepin from his bed. Give me one. And seizing it in his thin fingers, ah, how nice it smells, like the woods, he said, laying it on his pale cheek. I wish I could see a tree once more. Buttons jumped up and ran downstairs very fast, and they heard him coming back dragging something after him. Bump, bump. The something rustled and crackled and filled the room with a strong spicy scent of the woods. Buttons lifted it so that it stood just in front of Pepin's bed. It was a spruce tree. Its thick, strong branches spread out wide. Its top brushed the ceiling. Birds had built nests in its branches. Mosses had lived about its roots. It knew all the secrets of the woods and the sky and the rains. And it told you about them as well as it could whenever you stirred its branches. The wife hung the rafts all about the room, one in every nail, one over each window, one for Pepin, one each on the backs of Grandpa's and Grandma's chairs. It was getting dark and the firelight came out and danced on the ceiling and on the white cover of the little table. Pepin lay looking at the tree. The children chattered like little birds. Even Grandpa and Grandma Nutcracker were smiling. What was it, Nutcracker wondered more and more, here in these people's faces, for which he had labored all his life? Suddenly, Pepin cried out, oh, There is something hanging on the branch of the tree. Pepin took it out. Why, it's for me, he said, looking at the name on the wrapper. Then you better open it, answered Buttons. Pepin untied the string, put it, but his hand shook. It's square, he said, feeling it. He took off one wrapper. It's hard, he said again. He took off the second wrapper, and it nearly dropped from his fingers. A box of paints, screamed the children, dancing around. And everybody was happy. As for Nutcracker, 
He had a curious tingling sensation all over him, though he was only a copper penny, and when he looked at the fireplace, he saw Santa Claus. The old fellow had tied up his reindeer and slipped down the chimney, and was winking hard and wiping his eyes, while pretending to blow his nose. I have it! I have got it! And I know what it is, cried Nutcracker at the top of his lungs. The Christmas spirit lives here all year round, and these people love one another and are happy. That is what I never had at home, happiness. That is what my money could never buy. That is why I was every day trying to make more money, always hoping to make enough money to buy happiness. And in some mysterious way, Nutcracker found himself on his legs again, and he was walking as fast as he could with a pocket full of money to buy a monstrous turkey and the best overcoat in the city, and boots and a hat to match, and a new gown and a dressing gown, and a shawl and a set of paints, and a great bouquet, and a basket of toys and candies. For whom? Why, for Buttons and Grandpa and Grandma Nutcracker, and a pleasant little wife, and Pepin, and the children, of course. <laughs>